It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. What a lineup we've got for you this week. Former Premier League stars Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen and former Matilda Amy Duggan. We've got the biggest talking points from the Premier League and La Liga. The Socceroos World Cup countdown turns its focus to Christian Volpato, the Matilda's latest squad, and the impossible WSL question that Amy just couldn't answer. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gegenpot. It's a very busy gegging pod this week. Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges, former Premier League legends, and Amy Duggan, former Matilda. We start with our best and worst of the weekend, and Michael Bridges, kick us off. The floor is yours. Short and sweet, Leeds United's win over Liverpool in the last minute of the game. Thank you very much. Moving on. All right, I'm going next. Rashford um, raising his head... Uh, for his 100th goal for Man United, ultimately getting us the three points, the beautiful delivery from Ericsson and being the first player since Rooney to reach that 100 milestone. Pretty happy about that. I've, I've got to go with the, the scenes in the Michael Bridges living room when Leeds uh, got that goal after Tottenham winning late and, and then Newcastle slamming my old team, Aston Villa. There must be unreal scenes there. I would love to have been a fly on a wall, mate. And give us your worst as we go back around the room. Uh, I think Graham Potter going back to... Um, you know, Brighton, I think that was an absolute shocker. Obviously, after an unbeaten start to his tenure there, uh, him and Cucurella, I think, wants to get on the bus and, and out of there pretty quick. Um, yeah, that that's probably the worst of the weekend. Well, I was going to say that, Tommy, so let me change now and go with um, the Joe Gomez pass back to Allison to let Leeds get in front in that game. I felt for him because there's nothing you can do in a case like that. And then we all have to sit here and listen to Bridgie gloat. So that will be the worst part of the week. Well, my worst of the week, I'm going to have to take you down to League Two in England. And it was a manager's comment that came out after the game. The manager of Hartlepool United, Keith Curl, came out with an absolute classic. Hartlepool won the first game under him. He's originally a Manchester City player. And in his interview afterwards, he said, I prayed for three things this weekend. City to win, Hartlepool to win, and my wife to give me sexy time tonight. Now, for me, absolutely shocking. It put me off my dinner, my tea, and my Sunday dinner. So for me, that was the worst part of the weekend. Absolutely bang out of order. Hated everything about it. It's good to hear a pious Michael Bridges kicking us off with the best and worst. Let's go back to Tommy's worst of the week. Graham Potter, first defeat in charge. So we will start with you, Thomas. The criticism out of this is that he's overcomplicating things. Too many in-game formational changes and mixing it up a bit too much. And let's not forget, it's only his first defeat in charge. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to put it uh, a bit in perspective. Uh, he's still obviously searching for... His strongest eleven, I think it's definitely coming out. They like Cucurella. I think you know to play him as part of a back three, you know, it's probably not the right solution. Um, I think he's better as a wing back. And then you know Sterling played as a wing back uh, this time around with Pulisic. You know, uh, I, you know, I think he's got some tinkering more to do to to find the uh, you know the the right setup. But yeah, no, we can't be too harsh. You know, this was obviously a, a disaster on the day, but. You know, I'm sure, you know, he'll have a chance against Arsenal this weekend. That'll be a massive test for him. And uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there'll be a few changes. And I like what's happened with Sterling because I, I think it's not going to jeopardise his, his England. He'll be, he'll be going on the plane. There's no doubt about it. But I think it just shows that he's he's happy to do a job um, for Graham Potter. He, well, we don't see what goes on behind the inner sanctums, whether he was annoyed by it or whatnot. But he got on. He did a job. Is it going to affect him? No, not at all. Because... <laughs> Gareth Southgate and you know everybody around the world that is a football lover knows that this guy can beat players and he can score goals and he can be an impact player as well. So I don't think there's any issue there. And like Tommy says, Graham Potter, one loss since he's he's been there. And I just love the chance you're getting sacked in the morning by the Brighton fans. I thought it was just poetic justice. <laughs> he's taken everybody with him. He's taken the, the kit 
man or lady, he's taking the team man or lady, he's trying to take the canteen staff, he's taking his uh, medical team and his coaching staff, but he couldn't get the result. And that that's, that was the best part um, for the for the home fans. Yeah, it was pretty good. I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think there's any any worries there. It's, um, it's always tough to go back to where he came from. And I think, uh, you know, his old side would have wanted to beat him as well. Let's not take that out of the equation here. Chelsea did have more possession, obviously um, wasn't effective enough, but um, I just think they struggled under the pressure from Brighton. And yeah, changing around at the back, I agree with you. It doesn't change too much for Raheem because uh, at the end of the day, he's, he might've only scored three goals this season so far, but that's on par with him for the last couple of seasons. He's, he generally puts you know, one away every three games or so. So he, he's still on track. Amy, have you played under a coach that was information overload and did too much to the point where the players find it hard to process or tune out? Yeah, I I think um, there are managers that manage the players and put confidence into them and let them play um, with freedom. Um, And I think that's a great thing. And there are managers that like to control everything and have a way that you play and you have to play the way that they play. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time to get your head around exactly what they want, especially if there's a, a communication barrier um, between you and um, I did play under a coach that wanted to play two at the back so we're not quite that extreme yet um, that that went down well he did tell us that um yes they was it five aside you were playing no Bridgie it wasn't um we played against a certain team and he, and he came to us and said uh, it was me and Tracy Bartlett actually you guys are going to play at the back and we're like with who and he's like that's it um and I'll give him credit. Yep, we let in some goals, but we scored a heap more than the other team too. So it worked in in that game. I wouldn't like to be doing it all season. Don't be honest. Too much hard work, Tommy. Too much hard work. No, hey, but you're just that good. That's the the thing. Uh. (laughs) Thomas, once a manager gets a reputation as a tinker man, we saw it with Claudio Ranieri in his time at Chelsea, it can be very hard to shift perceptions. So how does Graham Potter make sure that this label of too many changes doesn't stick with him is it purely a results thing or is there a way he can operate the team which will shift that early perception because he's still in the formative stages of showing everyone what he's all about at Chelsea you know who says it can't work um you know again you you want to have a you know a, a defined way of playing and I think that that's the that's the the aim uh, and then you know if you have versatile players you can move people around and, and sometimes, you know, we, we saw what he did at, at Brighton, you know, he, he found new positions for, for players that, that had never played there and they, you know, like Cucurella obviously came in there, um, you know, so he's, he's trying to, to sort of find probably their, you know, their best combination. Uh, you know, I think in the long term, you, you want to have a settled team. You, you, you don't want to move people too much around, but I, I don't see it necessarily as a weakness uh, and, and, uh, you know, as you said it in in the question, you know, if you get the results, who cares? Uh, that's what that's what really matters. You you look at, you know, other managers. Uh, you know, Pep at at uh, Man City has has moved people around all the time as well, and and you know they're doing pretty well. Bridgie, does this increase the intrigue around Potter's next transfer window? Is he going to sign players and to defy convention and defy our expectations, given the positional changes he's already implemented on what he inherited? I honestly don't know how they can. If if they do, though, surely they're breaking financial fair play because the amount of players that they have brought in, the amount of money that has been spent has been absolutely incredible. Um, so obviously with the new ownership, they want to make an impact. They want to go again. Um, so I honestly tell you, I can't, I can't answer that because I, I just don't know what they're going to do. They're capable of going and spending another 100 million on a player, if not two players on 200 million, no, no doubt about it. Would they allow that to happen? I, I don't know. I don't know whether they would wait till the summer or not. But um, I know if Potter had that and I'm putting myself in Potter's spot and you get given that open checkbook, I'm spending it. No doubt about it. And just on managers that either overload or give too much information, is that the common experience for you two as professionals with the managers you had? Or were you often left in situations where you actually wanted more coming from above and more instruction? Oh, there's there's different managers. I've got different ideas. I, I mean, there's some some of the best managers I've worked under um, actually didn't give us that much direction and information on the training park. It was all about free flowing football, and they give us an opportunity to express ourselves. But we had a bond with that coach, and we'd run through a brick wall for him. And then I've had 
other other managers for the other end of the spectrum that give you completely total overload of information and everything is a tactical session and it just becomes mundane and boring and you come to game day and you, you just forget everything that has been going on because your head's like spaghetti junction and um, it can have a it can have a detrimental effect so it's it's finding that balance and the the I think the biggest thing I've learned since I was a player to becoming a, a coach and wanting to get into the management side is we all learn in different ways and I remember since I've done the coach coaching courses how they got the best out of me so if you're just writing on a on a whiteboard I, I didn't have a clue but if you're showing us some footage and information that is actually on on video analysis and footage I became so absorbed in it and I absolutely loved it and was asking questions other players can't can't stand sitting there they'd rather just have as least information as possible so it's um, it's fine a fine line and knowing your players um, and like I say I've had the best of them and I've had the worst of them yeah, and it can truly tire you out as a player you know I've, uh, you know we you know I had different Martin O'Neill uh, didn't give much information he was more about just you know, motivating the players and and just get on with the job. Uh, you know, we had uh, Peter Reed up at at Sunderland. You know, th- there was obviously set plays and stuff, but uh, there wasn't sort of much overall tactical, uh, yeah. you know, finesse. Uh, and then a, a motivator you know, to- and scare tactics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you went to Tony Pulley, so who wants to, he wanted to move every player in every situation. You know, it was like a chessboard to him and. And at, at the end, it, it got very tiring because every session was just, you know, s- you know, set plays, uh, you know, build up, defending. Uh, and I think, you know, it, 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 it's like Bridget said, it, it's a balance because as a player, you can only absorb to so much. Uh, and you've got to have a smile on your face and, and you've got to be loose as well. And too much information, it doesn't really work. So, um, yeah, it's that balance. And it depends where you are too on the ladder, whether you're you know, one of these top table teams that can lead and play the way you play and make other people you know, change the way that they play to suit you or whether you're one of those teams that has to change things to compete because you're not yeah. quite there or you don't quite have the talent. So yeah, it's a, it's a balance, but it's also environmental. And, and I also learned a valuable lesson in the A-League at the Newcastle Jets and it was kind of like when managers ask you for a bit of your own input or a bit of advice and you decide to, to give it, um, thinking that you're going to be doing a, a job to enhance, <laughs> and they're saying what 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 can you know is it what can what can I do to get the best the best out of some of my players? And I remember just saying, can we just go and try and get back to an enjoyable session rather than less input, and just make the video analysis sessions a little bit less than 45 minutes, maybe knock them back by 15 or 20. Some of the boys are falling asleep and things like that. And unfortunately, I never played again for the football club after the Newcastle Jets. <laughs> Obviously, my advice is it was taken in the wrong way. So you've got to be careful what, what you actually do. And I didn't say it in a horrible manner. I tried to get a, a nice point across because I was asked. But um, yeah, you've got to be careful. Just on that, Amy, uh, in The Athletic this week, Mark Parsons, the sacked Netherlands coach, who is an Englishman, basically admitted that, yes, he lost uh, the, the group by running video analysis sessions and team talks in general for too long. And he said in a high-performance environment, it's 10 minutes maximum, and we were, look, we were doing 15 minutes to half an hour. I mean, in any regular job, you're expected to give your attention to your employer for eight hours a day. Why is football such a different environment that asking for more than 10 minutes is the sort of thing that can lose a group? I, I think uh, for them it was more a cultural change. Like obviously Mark coming from the US system came in, they, they do things very differently over there. It's very structured. It is very, you know, lesson planned almost. You'll you'll see something, you'll go out and work on it, then you'll implement it in the game. And, and we're probably used to that as footballers. But you will remember... Um, the players during the Euros actually speaking out about the way that like he talks too much. He gives us too much information. He's telling us what to do all the time. And they were obviously not used to that. And then you see Serena, their coach going to the UK, like going to the English team and who obviously won the Euros. And it's quite the opposite, the way that she coaches. It's small amounts of information, less regularly, and allowing those players to have self-belief and confidence and play 
the situation that's in front of them play what they know like I sometimes think we we forget that players to reach the top have had to have been through years and years and years of training and that's not to say that they don't need tweaking and that's not to say they get it right all the time and there's not to say they can't learn but a lot of the time they actually know what they're supposed to do and they can be more creative if you give them that um, that free license to do so and sometimes you know that's what makes strikers so special and I'm not talking the, the types like Harlan that are just in the right place at the right time all the time to put it away I'm talking about those creative moments of individual brilliance that comes from being given the freedom to to have license to do that so yeah when you go back to Mark Parsons I just think too much structure too much information and culture that team wasn't ready for that I think if you're going to change the way you coach completely you've got to um, you've got to drip feed it a little bit more than just come in and, and switch straight over I'll give you a good one um, off the back of that, Amy, how I learnt um, when I went into the Edgeworth Eagles. So obviously, it was the lads have got jobs. Um, they're in twice a week, uh, sometimes three times a week. And then we had a game at the weekend. Now, I know they've got jobs. You want to make it exciting for them. They'd never had video analysis before, so I brought it in. But what we had was a video camera. And I was able to obviously send them it via a WhatsApp link and they can watch the footage that I've cut together. So I'm not having to do a video session for them because they just want to come from work, play a game. And it was so funny because you can see who's watched it. And out of the 20 boys, eight had watched it. So when they came in on the, the following session, I sat them down and I made the video session as long as I could. And at the end of it, I said, how boring was that? And they were like, oh, we never want to do that ever again. I said, well, I'll tell you what, if you don't watch it next week when I send it out, because I know how many, and I showed and named and shamed them. And I said, so make sure you all watch it next week on the video that I send you, because it's only 10 minutes. And I'll tell you what, 20 players watched it during the week, and we never had to do a 40-minute video session ever again. <laughs> so it was a good way to get a buy-in from them. Also, on top of that, your eight hours a day to the employer. Just remember, these athletes are 24-7. It's not about eight hours. Um, football is everything bar sleeping. So everything you're eating, everything you're doing, when you're going to the gym, all your analysis, all your training, all your physio, all your recovery, like all of that is part of being an athlete. So it's not just about the time on the paddock. Let's quickly go around the panel then. Graham Potter, if Chelsea come out and beat Arsenal this weekend, it is a home game for Chelsea as well. We'll, we'll be singing his praises again. And clearly the visit to Brighton will just be a blip on the radar. But Tommy, do Chelsea win? And if so, how do they do it? Oh, you know, I think it's going to be a tight game. We 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 had it, uh, and but I think Chelsea will will do well. I think um, you know they uh, there'll be a few changes uh, for sure. Uh, I, I would like to see Chilwell come in um, and uh, you know just provide that you know a bit of width and 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 just a bit of yeah just just some more crossing ability than than they had at the weekend uh, and then. You know they have to be solid at the back. They have to find a constellation uh, that that c- that can do it against obviously a rampant Arsenal team. But uh, you know I could see uh, I could see them at least getting a point in this one uh, with a bit of luck uh, win it. Well, I can't see Chelsea winning this one. I can see it being a draw. Arsenal run away with it. They're going to outrun them. They're going to play them off the park. And what, what the games I've watched them this season, um, Arsenal Martinelli has just been the work rate he is putting in. On that left-hand side, he, he almost tucks in as a left-back when he helps his defenders out and he's, he's been going forward and scoring goals in order guard is just on a different level. So I'm, I'm going with Arsenal, coming from the Spurs, man. There you go. Wow. I just think Chelsea lacks too much up front at the moment. Um, Havertz got that consolation goal, yes, I know, but they really struggled under the press from, from Brighton at the time and I think you're going to see that again with Arsenal and I just think they're lacking too much up front at the moment. Now, Michael Bridges probably thought we were going to give him the floor right off the top. Just to take a little victory lap for Jesse Marsh and Leeds United. A really exciting 2-1 win. Only one point above the relegation zone, and they still have a six-pointer against Bournemouth coming up this weekend. So, Michael, how excited are you about the Liverpool result? But also, is this a turning point for Leeds, given that they face a very immediate task to back up this incredible win? against Bournemouth this weekend. Yeah, I mean, the, the the magnitude of that win, not only for the club at this moment in time where they needed not to lose. I, I was happy with one point, as I think the whole of the fans were, Jesse Marsh, the coaching staff, the players. You, you come away from Anfield, a point is fantastic. And to see that goal go in from Somerville at the end, there was just hysteria. And what I loved about the Leeds fans, if you go back and people are listening, go back and have a look at the goal that was scored. What you get from the diehard Leeds fans, there was not one fan had a mobile phone in their hand recording it they were there for the moment not for the not for that memory and catching it on it these are passionate 
traveling fans that went there and that it's the first time i've seen an image without a mobile phone in it for a long long time normally everybody's hanging over the hordens with a mobile phone just to see you take a corner kick these days so that was refreshing and it just went into absolute bedlam so i was delighted for the players and i was more delighted for jesse marsh because i spent pre-season with them I, I thought the man's mannerisms were absolutely magnificent the way he conducted himself and you can see in the likes of the chelsea game where they smashed Chelsea 3-0. The second half against Arsenal, it's been missed opportunities and defensive mistakes that have cost them. And But the actual pressing and the game, game plan has been magnificent and it was just nice to see it come together. And they held on. They needed saves. And I think going ahead to the next game um, against Bournemouth, they were 2-0 up. Tottenham came back to beat them. They're rock bottom on confidence. Leeds are going at this one flying. And um, all in all, I can safely say I think they're going to go back to back and the fans will it'll give them a great send-off in their last home game before the World Cup. So very good. Thomas, Leeds won this match with 30% possession. Is this sort of performance repeatable in order to get points or is this just a one-off and against Bournemouth they need to play differently and against other big teams even they'll need to play differently because perhaps they will have better days in front of goal. You know, as much criticism as, as Liverpool are getting, um, you know, that's, I think that was the way Liverpool, uh, Leeds were going to win that game, was to obviously soak up the pressure. Uh, I thought they were pretty aggressive in the first half. You know, they, they came out and, and came at Liverpool and, and uh, you know, created a, a, a few chances. Alisson made, made a couple of good saves. Um, you know, again, you, you would want to see them with more possession for sure. And I'm sure, you know, Bournemouth will try to, to, to do similar things, you know, they'll sit back. You know, it's a tough place to go, Leeds, like Bridgie knows it all too well. It's a great atmosphere, tight ground. Um, and um, yeah, they'll, they'll have to play differently. But, you know, again, I think the confidence that they gained from this is going to be the, the key to, to, the, to the next couple of games for sure. Um, and, and Leeds, I, I, I don't fear for them. And, and I think Jesse Marsh is the right solution. Um, uh, so. You know, they, they go, go, they'll be okay for, for the rest of the season, I think. I think in that game, you know, you talk about 30% possession. Um, Liverpool had double the touches, double the passes. Um, but what Leeds did do well was, as you said, soak up the pressure. They pounced on errors. And, and the biggest thing about that is that they made them count. And sometimes that's all you need as a team. Um, and I just want to remind you that the last time these two teams met was back in February and Liverpool trounced Leeds 6-0. So when you can turn that around, I know different seasons, but when you can turn that around, it's, it's a pretty big achievement. Theo, can I ask you a question from the top of that? Because when is possession ever won football matches, mate? Because <laughs> Leicester City won the Premier League with the least amount of possession. All right, so it's about game plans. So this this thing about possession does my head in. It's not about possession. I can, my team can win possession in the back third by playing a million passes and not going up the field, right? So get rid of this possession thing. It's about game plans, win, win matches. Well, Bridgie, I'll come back to you on that. Was the game plan for Leeds for Darwin Nunez to have a shocker? It, it seems he's very maligned at the moment. <laughs> Is it too early to label him a flop? Oh, a flop. I think that's very hard in his first season. No, I'm, I'm not having that. No, I'm going to stick by him. I think the, 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 the movement, if he wasn't getting chances and he wasn't getting the opportunities, I'd be saying he's, he's had, a, had a nightmare because he's getting in them positions and chances are going to come. I remember watching a player called Andy Cole. He would squander six or seven chances a game, but he would still get on the score sheet. So he, at some point, it's going to happen for him. And I just think it's the whole of Liverpool at this moment in time is it, it hasn't been working for them defensively and in the attacking third and he's been made a scapegoat but I, I, I rate this guy he's strong he's powerful he's made a few errors he got sent off for the headbutt or the elbow um, but he, he's a player mate uh, can, can we just go back to the beginning of the year because he had a great start to the season before that brain snap headbutt moment like he really did and among the players um, who've played at least three starts this season he actually ranks second for non-penalty expected goals behind none other than Haaland um, and he actually does lead the league for outright shots per 90 minutes. So it's not that he's not getting the chances um, at the moment. It's not that he's not creating them. He's just not putting them away all the time. And I think that's not necessarily a reflection of him. I think that's a reflection of the whole team. He's not a flop. Blame Klopp. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, but he's a young nice. player. You know, yeah, a good good little uh, quote there, Bridget. But uh, no, he's, he's a, you know, he's, 
he's a young player. He's 22. And I, and I think you've you got to put it in a bigger perspective. Like, like uh, you know, Bridget said, it's, it's, you know, it's the situation at Liverpool, a scapegoat. You know, he's obviously cost them a lot of money. Um, and, you know, 32 shots, three goals is not great. But he's doing a lot of things right. And, and you know, he'll come good in, in time, I'm sure. Uh, but he just needs the team around him to, to, to just give him a bit of help. One other Premier League result I wanted to get your thoughts on. Newcastle blitzing Aston Villa 4-0. Newcastle still have the best defence in the Premier League. And they've actually been attached to Leandro Trossard, the Brighton player, in the transfer window, which is going to be opening, of course, pretty soon in January. And in Miguel Albaron, they have their own player, Newcastle, who is currently playing out of his skin. Trossard himself is having a phenomenal season for Brighton and Hove Albion. Thomas, is this a match made in heaven for Newcastle if they are going to target a January signing to try and take Trossard off Brighton? <sighs> you know, yes, of course, he's a, he's a good player. He's, he's in form at the moment. Is he going to make Newcastle that much better? Um, it'll be another option, I think. Uh, you know, I think Callum Wilson is doing extremely well. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great player up front. As you said, Almiron, Joel Linton. Um, so, so he'd be a great addition. Is he going to make them a title contender? I don't think so. Uh, so I think it all depends on what, what is he going to cost them if, if they're going to bring him in. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a tough weekend watching my old side lose, uh, getting absolutely smashed. Uh, I, I definitely hope, that, you know, Emre, when he comes in, that he can steady the ship with a bit of experience uh, because we need that. Uh, but Newcastle, I think, are, you know, uh, flying. Uh, it's great to see. It's you know as much as I, you know, I, I, I'm a Sunderland fan. You know, it's great to see the northeast uh, buzzing again. I think that that's that's the word. I think it's great to see the Newcastle fans excited. These are the entertainers. It used to be under Kevin Keegan, but Eddie Howe's entertainers don't concede goals. They've got they're so <laughs> organised. It's absolutely frightening. And you think Almiron, Joe Linton. Um, and Murphy were all there under Steve Bruce and all of them were, everybody was asking questions what are these players doing at this football club? Well, Joe Lint was playing as a number nine he was a midfielder so he's gone in there Almiron's playing with the freedom to the city with that left foot now it, the, the atmosphere is just incredible the buzz around the city and the big talk here um, is still the fans are a little bit sceptical about Trossard but the, the, the big talk is it's going to be Madison from Leicester um, that is going to be the one that they're going to go really, really hard to get. Uh, the field before the season started. And if there any chance... I mean, Isak's still got to come back as well. Um, we've only seen him on a couple of occasions. He's injured. So they've got they've got money to spend. And I think if Newcastle have got an opportunity to get in Champions League football, they've got an open checkbook and they'll have they'll have a real good go. And you talked about the back line. How good has Sven Butman been? Like a young player coming in from Lille. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think... Uh, Tremendous, uh, you know, they're really, you know, Dan Byrne, you're looking at Shah, you're looking at that back line it, on paper. It shouldn't be unbeatable, but they're, they're just working together and, and really they've got something special going there. Nick Pope has done well. I think um, three clean sheets in four matches, more points than any other Premier League side in October. Uh, you'll be happy to hear, Bridgie, that Pep Guardiola is also on the Newcastle bus now. He thinks they're a top four side at the moment, <laughs> which I found quite comical, but... Um, yeah, the only player I think that needs to watch out at the moment is Jolinton because he's just one booking away from a little holiday. Well, Can everybody laughed me off cards. at the start of the year with the predictions, <laughs> especially that big nose water, so um, I've got my fingers crossed. Let's talk La Liga now. Atletico Madrid crashed out of the Champions League last week and now they are out of the Europa League 2. They've finished bottom of their group. And after losing 3-2 to Cadiz at the weekend, Diego Simeone as the longest-serving manager in the top five leagues and also one of the highest-paid, if not the highest-paid manager in world football. After 11 years, Thomas Sorensen, is it time for the unthinkable, and that would be Diego Simeone moving on from Atletico Madrid? Yeah, eventually it will happen, but I think we had the same conversation about 18 months ago when uh, they were struggling, and, and he managed to, to get them back on track as well. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's really tough when you've got a manager that's so ingrained in the DNA of a club. And, and that's, that's what he is. Their, their whole branding is, you know, on hard work, determination, that fire that, that he embodies. Um, you know, like we, we've seen that in the past with Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. Uh, you know, I experienced it with Tony Pulis at, at Stoke City. You know, it, that was the same, you know, the manager that, that sort of 
rallied the troops and, and build this um, camaraderie and, and togetherness and, and fighting spirit that the club was built up upon. Um, so eventually it will happen and results is going to dictate it. If, if they continue this slide, uh, huge disappointment obviously to go out of Europe. Um, lost again uh, away to Porto in the Champions League this morning. Um, so, so things are not going great. Losing to Cadiz uh, you know, at the weekend was a shocker. So unless something happens fairly quickly, you know, he could be out of there and they'll be looking for a new direction and, uh, you know, and that's, that's going to be tough. Amy, when you have a manager and a club that are ideologically aligned and their identity becomes one and the same, we've seen Sir Alex Ferguson leaving Manchester United, Arsene Wenger leaving Arsenal, how difficult it can become. Simeone's not been there quite as long, but 11 years is still a long time and he's still the longest serving manager in the top five leagues as a result. How difficult is it going to be for Atletico Madrid to make this decision to begin with? Never mind move on from him and try with someone new. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And what does new actually do for you? And I think that's the the key too. You need to have the right person lined up when that transition time comes. Um, He said himself, I know the pressure's building in the media, but Simeone said he's not going anywhere. He's just putting this down to the peaks and troughs of coaching. He said they went through this in year four and they went through this in year six. And then they, you know, they came back each time bigger, better, stronger and, um, and he won the league. So I think this is not just his problem either. Can we just remember where Barcelona is at the moment and how many um, teams from Spain are actually doing well in the Champions League? Because I think there's one left, isn't there? Um, Doing really well. But when it comes to changing your coach and like you said, changing your DNA, you're always compared. How many times do we compare, you know, Manchester United even now to when Alex Ferguson was there? You still do it. It's going to happen and it takes a really long time. And I think a lot of success to change that perception. And you also need to think about um, it's not just the coach that goes. Generally, it's a lot of the backroom staff that goes as well. Um, so it, it's bigger. Oscar, Oscar Ortega will be the guy that will be sorely missed as well, the fitness coach. He's, he's like Simeone's right-hand man. Yeah, and so it's not just the coach. It's all the backroom staff. It's everyone that supports them. And I think the other point you have to keep in mind here is players often go to a club for the coach. And so the opportunity to play under a coach like that will have, you know, drawing capability. When you change that and it's not proven, um, unless there's a relationship there or, or some ingrained trust, it's really, it's sometimes really hard to attract the players that you need as well. So I think it'll be a massive rebuilding phase for them if and when the time comes. Theo, do you mind if I just change my best moment of the week to Amy's um, comment there? Because the Man United fans are still pining for Alex Ferguson. (laughs) I didn't say pining, I said comparing. Comparing. But but on that that, Bridgie, I mean, is it it dangerous territory for a club to um, become too sentimental and attached to any one manager? Or is that what makes football great? Is the fact that Arsene Wenger and Arsenal, Sir Alex Ferguson, Manchester United are one and the same, and it's the fabric of the club. And in, in that respect, Diego Simeone and Atletico fall into the same category. I, I think it's great. I mean, how many managers can we talk about now that go longer than two, three, four seasons, let alone 11? Uh, and obviously what Ferguson went under, uh, what Arsene Wenger went under, th- them days are few and far between. So uh, you, you'd like to think that a little a blip in like a, a seasonal, you can you get a bit more, I would say, credit in the bank to to give you a little bit longer. Or like, it, it may have just come to an end. You know, that sometimes when you can't motivate the players like he's done for so many years, um, it could be the height of an end. But I, as much as I would like to say, I'd like to see him still stay and keep his job because I still, I, 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 you know, when you see managers or players that have been at a club for so long, you, I can't possibly see him managing or coaching another another team. It would just be so mad to, like when Messi left Barcelona, when I saw him in a PSG shirt, it didn't feel normal. It felt It felt quite creepy and weird for some reason. I don't know. And that would be the same with Simeone. Says a man that, that um, you know, team hopped like no one else. <laughs> a 1-1. Stay with us on the Gagan Pod. When we come back, the Socceroos World Cup countdown, and we'll check in on the world of women's football. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to the Gagan Pod with us today, former Premier League stars Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen and former Matilda Amy Duggan. Who we don't have on the Gagan Pod this week is Mark Schwarzer, who is in Verona to interview Aiden Hrustich for an Optus Sport original. And if you want to check out the latest OS original, Matty Ryan is live on Optus Sport platforms, so make sure you check that out. Now, in the World Cup countdown, there is only one name that is top of the list this week, Christian Volpato. Australian-born, snubbed by the A-League clubs, tried his luck over in Italy, broke through at Roma, and now he is scoring match-winning goals and laying off assists for Jose Mourinho's Roma in Serie A. It's been a wild 24 hours ever since that ball hit the back of the net, especially on soccer Twitter. Amy, what have you made of these last 24 hours? Well, it's crazy, isn't it? But there's always bolters. And um, I'd look, I'd love him to be pulling in on a shirt for Australia, whether we'll see it happen or not. I have no control over. But, um, you know, great story. I love that we always say, you know, Australia dissed him and we didn't take care of him. And I know there's some sentiment around the stories that come with that. And I really just think this was at a, about a player who didn't really blossom until a little bit after there was the expected blossoming to happen. So he might not have been great at 14. It was good, but he wasn't great enough in that moment. And should we have held on to him for a bit longer and gave him a little bit longer to develop and bloom? Absolutely. But did he bloom because of these experiences? Um, and did they, you know, did they teach him to be resilient? Did they teach him to grow? Did they motivate him more? We will never know. Uh, what we do know is he's hitting the back of the net now. Absolutely awesome to see him out there. Should we throw out the rule book? I'd love to see him be there. Whether he'd want to be part of this team now is really up to him and I guess up to the relationship that, you know, Graham Arnold and the people around him need to come together and work out. I would be on the phone 24-7 if I was Graham Arnold too. I'd be on the phone 24-7 begging and pleading, just saying, what can we do to get you in the green and gold? And, you know, it's... It, yeah, because he's some player, and if you're going to be there, um, and he gets an opportunity, but I, I still think he's going to take take the Italian route, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I also think it's a reflection of, you know, the the lack of strikers they have. You know, you know, if if there was, you know, we obviously, you know, got a couple in the A League. McLaren is is doing well, but you know, it, you know, there is a search for that guy, and and Volpato again, it's it's an international great league, and he's scoring goals, so. I think it's only natural, and, and I agree with Bridgie. I think they should do whatever they can, at least reach out to him pretty strongly and, and then see where he's at. Bridgie, you think that Graham Arnold should be on the phone, but if you're Volpato, do you accept the, the invitation to go to a World Cup or do you wait and try your luck with Italy? So Italy, obviously not at this World Cup. Do you risk your future of, you know... Not playing for a team or, sorry, a country that potentially could go on to win the World Cup in the future? Or is that golden nugget to wear the green and gold for your country in this World Cup? The the carrot that he needs. You've got to try your luck. Now, if you're asking, if if, if that's dangled in front of me, I could have played for Scotland and chose England as a kid. I had uh, I had the choice to play for either. Looking back, I should have taken Scotland because I would have got international caps. Playing for England, unfortunately, I had to wait another year and a half for me full senior call-up. And it was kind of when the old guard were leaving and Sven was bringing in the new younger guard. And unfortunately, I snapped my leg just before I was named in that, that squad when I was having a good season. So if I could turn back time... I might have gone a different way, but my family would have disowned me. So he's got a big decision to make, a very, very big decision to make. Uh, with with this World Cup falling in season, though, Bridgie, do you think you have to call up the hot boot and you have to, as Amy said, throw out the rule book just to try and pick whoever's in front of you? I mean, if Scotland had recognised your form and said, this guy's on the rise, we'll give you a full cap now, even before your time... Is that the sort of thing Australia should be pushing out the barrow to do? Uh, uh, God, I wish you'd been doing the negotiations because I would have taken me full international <laughs> Scottish Cup there and then. So there you go. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what you've got to do. You've got to you've got to go after ASAP, and I'm hoping that we're actually doing this podcast and it's already been discussed and talked about. So tell me what you got. Come on, Bridgie. I'm a romantic. It should be where your bloody heart lies, not like you sitting there like you're picking. 
you know, like desserts from a Montreal. Like, you know, you, ca you can't. You know, <laughs> if, he's, if he feels Australian, bloody get on the flight and get to the World Cup. You know, there's no questions asked. If he, if he feels more Italian, then he should wait. It, that's the simple answer to that question. Hence why I chose England, didn't get any cuffs. <laughs> yeah, and I think if you come off hey. the back of that, we keep saying the Australian system um, let him down, but I'm not sure they did because it wasn't all of football that let him down. It was one moment in time, one experience at, at one club um, that, that changed his, his course of direction. Let's talk about the Italy equation. Obviously, they missed the World Cup. They'll have some friendlies and then they'll start playing competitive games again with Euro 2024 qualifying I think in March. So their next handful of games may well be experimental. Do you think that Volpato, due to the tug of war he's created, could be fast-tracked into the Italy setup, or do you think they don't care? Is this a situation where if he's ever good enough, they'll play him, but right now he's just someone who makes cameo appearances occasionally, mainly in the Europa League? He's not obviously a regular for Roma in Serie A and, and surely that shouldn't be enough to get you into the full Italian national team. Do you really think the Italians are worried about this this problem at this moment in time? They've got bigger things to worry I mean, about. They, they, have missed, they have missed two consecutive World Cups so isn't it time they start to worry about these sort of problems? I think there's a massive array of talent that, no, no disrespect to Valpato, that Australia crying out for somebody like him. Italy aren't, and I'm going to bring you back down to earth. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a there's a big pecking order. There's a massive um, squad of 50 to 100 players that he could have a pick from. And, and like you say, he's definitely going to be on the radar in the future. But he's got to be scoring goals on a regular basis. We're not just talking about a goal and assist in a few games. You've got to be doing it on a regular, regular basis at the top level to get your Italian call up. He's 18. Can we just keep that uh, in mind? Yeah. He's 18. <laughs> just so much. Get him in the Aussie squad. Tom Rogic, an assist this morning for West Brom after coming off the bench, but that's after being an unused sub at the weekend. So while it's a positive development, he hasn't been getting a huge amount of game time. I mean, is he in the category where he's like an Aaron Moy and it doesn't really matter how much you play or don't play, if you're available, you're in the squad? I really felt for him because I think he was lost in the wilderness and chasing quite a, a, a lucrative deal overseas, which didn't materialise. And it's 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 it hasn't paid off, obviously, for both reasons, financially and and for where he's ended up. And he, he found himself at West Brom under a guy in Steve Bruce. And I didn't think that was a place for him. He's a lovely ball player, Tom. He loves getting the ball at his feet. He's, he's a great, I would say, a, a player that unlocks doors. And I'd like to think, having seen him and we've all witnessed how he plays and what he's all about, I'd like to think that he is on that plane because I still think that he can offer something if he is fit and gets him a, a few minutes off the bench to change it, change a game. However, I wish that he'd gone to West Brom at the start of this season and they had the current manager that is in place now when he was going to try and play a bit more football. I just think everything has really unfolded at the wrong time for Tom Rogic. And I don't know whether that's the advice he's had off the field or whether it was the, the you know, he just needed a break from the game. I don't know, but I really think it could impact him. I'm just hoping that he's done enough in previous years with the Socceroos, but that's not always the case. You got a, a big enough squad, I think, to you know, to accommodate a player like this. I think the downside is that it's a different World Cup. You haven't got that three or four weeks of preparation where you can play and, and he can get some game time. So you're more or less straight into it. And, you know, there'll be a fair few uh, Socceroos players with not a lot of uh, game experience. But I think he's got, he's got tournament experience. You know, you, you, you're talking about, you know, Qual, obviously, young players, Asani, Tilio. You know, I think... I think Rogic will offer the squad uh, probably more than than um, too many of the young kids. Uh, so I, I would take him if his head if his head is in the right place. I think he would be a good addition, at least for some sort of role. He could even be a good mentor for the rest of them to pass on experience because yeah. he's been to World Cups yeah. in the past. So that that goes a hell of a long way for what you can offer off the field as well as on the field, especially in tournament football. All right, I'll read out a couple of names and situations and you can decide to comment on which one takes your fancy. Riley McGree starts for Middlesbrough for the first time in four games, but they lose and they're only above the relegation zone in the championship on goal difference. Jason Cummings scores and has three assists in a Central Coast comeback win. Garang Quoll was the game changer coming on at halftime as a substitute and drawing the foul, which led to a red card. 
Jamie McLaren has five goals in four as the top scorer in A-League men's. And the one that caught my attention, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, Marco Tilio and his relationship with Patrick Kisnorbo looking incredibly healthy after the portrayal of the dynamic between the two on the A-League's All Access documentary. And it makes me wonder why maybe Kisnorbo himself wasn't more proactive in demonstrating how healthy that relationship was. Because once we saw the cameras behind the scenes and we saw how Kuznorbo operates, it's a total contrast to how gruff he is and the hardened exterior he shows in press conferences. And given that they are the weekly conduit between team and fans, it does confuse me as to why it took a behind-the-scenes documentary to flip that perception and to show that not just is Tilio getting more minutes at the moment, but that his dynamic there seems to be incredibly good. Who wants to jump in on any one of those? Tommy, we'll start with you. Yeah, no, obviously I've got a bit of insight with the uh, Tilio situation and, and Kisnorbo. I, you know, he's a big softy. He's got this uh, outside big persona, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he's a soft and he's a good man manager. Uh, I don't think there's ever been any, you know, questions in my mind that there was any trouble with the relationship. I think it's just the dynamics. I think he, Tilio hasn't been playing to the standard, uh, but now... Uh, you know, he, he's been given a couple of chances. I think he's stepped up. I think, they, uh, he, I think he's realized that, you know, his, his World Cup squad place was, was in danger. And I think he scored at the weekend, uh, which, which was great to see. I think he put in a, a good performance. Uh, so there, there has been a change there. Um, but yeah, I know Kisnorbo, you know, he hasn't felt that Tilio has been playing well enough. Uh, Naboot has been ahead. And, and you must say, Naboot has dropped a bit and then Tilio's back in. So... Um, you know, fair play on him, and hopefully, hopefully he makes the uh, the flight to Qatar. Can I take the Riley McGree one, please? Because um, he, obviously that game and Carrick's first game in charge, he, he had the faith to give him a go. They, they got a late scrappy goal that cost them, and that was basically Michael Carrick's welcome into um, football management, bless him, in, the, in injury time. However, they are winning tonight 2-1. Um, against Hull City away. Riley McGree started the game and I hope that by the end of the podcast or by the time people listen to this, they did end up winning and maybe Riley McGree gets a goal. But another positive sign that he's come back in. Now, Carrick wants to play football um, and the other guy that I had a chat with is one of my ex-colleagues at Leeds United. There's Jonathan Woodgate. He's gone back as one of the first team coaches. He has been suitably impressed since he's gone back with Riley McGree, but he's also got a lot of people that work at the football club that said he's not a bad egg. He hasn't been getting a bit of game time he's still trying to motivate himself and get in. So that's a good sign because he's got his eye on the World Cup and that is so much more beneficial for Middlesbrough and um, hopefully they can hang on for the result and I hope he ends up having an impact. I um, I agree with you. I think Riley's a, a superb player and one that we're going to see around the national team scene for a really long time. So those minutes are, are really important for him. But can we just go back to Garen Qual for a minute because, you know, obviously he's leaving our shores soon. But to come on as a halftime substitute when your team is down the way that they were and to fight back the way that they did and to just have the confidence on the ball to do some of the moves that we saw from him uh, during that game. I, I just ca- I cannot wait to watch and, and follow this journey um, over time because it's going to be awesome. Amy, he didn't do any moves like um, the Manchester United player Anthony, did he? No, no, not like that. Very no. funny. What, doing swirls? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> swirls and twirls in the middle of the pitch in a big game? No, oh, brilliant. Let, oh, let, Kowal, let Kowal do what he's got to hey, do. Hey, we, Bridget, you know what? We needed just ballage just to run off and just kick him. <laughs> a Kevin Ball. If, if, honestly, if, if Kevin oh, Roy Ball... Keen, right, just, Roy Keane just to go and like... <laughs> Tommy, can you not remember when I used to try and do tricks in training, like 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 step overs or Maradona spin turns and Cruyff turns and Kevin Ball, who was my club captain, he said, if ever you embarrass me in front of players again, I will break your legs, mate. And I used to try not to nutmeg him because he, he literally would kill you. But then when you're not playing against him in training, you're on the pitch and you're out there, he would go, remember what you did to me in training? Do it to these out there, son. And it was just like, oh, he'd give you the green light to go, but man... You never humiliated him and did any tricks against Bali. He would kill you. And just to finish on the Socceroo Bolter chat, A-League's All Access this week is Garang Qual. So if you don't think there's hype around him already, just wait until that drops and we get to find out a bit more about him behind the scenes. Let's move on to our women's national team now. The Matildas named their squad to take on Sweden in Melbourne and Thailand in Gosford. And there was one headline name, Elise Kellond-Knight, who has been getting a few minutes off the bench here and there for Hammerby in Sweden. 
Amy Duggan, we're very excited because Keller Knight is one of our most decorated. Matildas has been in the FIFA team of the tournament twice at World Cup, so one of our highest achievers. My question is, is it the same Elise Keller Knight? Is she even ready to actually play international football? Oh, we'll, ha- we'll have to wait and see for that, won't we? Because uh, I think it was something like 769 days she was out for and, and she played her first game a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think... Uh, from memory, I think she hurt her knee originally against Sweden. So what a what a game to you know come back or what a tournament to come back in for when she originally tore ACL. I'm pretty sure it was playing Sweden ahead of Tokyo. Anyway, uh, I think we need to go back and look at Chloe Legazzo because she came back in to the national team scene after a lengthy layoff and didn't get any time on the paddock straight away. It wasn't till her second camp that we saw her back in. I don't think we'll see KK play against Sweden um, as much as she might know the players uh, because obviously that's where she's been based. But uh, we, you know, maybe if you're going to have a look at it, you maybe give her a few minutes against Thailand. But I guess it all depends on the medical staff's assessment of her. Um, and that's what I think that they will rely on. Uh, I would hate for her to come back in and not be ready and to be injured again. So slow and steady wins the race. She doesn't need to be playing now. She needs to be playing well come, you know, June, July next year. So with that said, you mentioned Kellon Knight, Chloe Legazzo, Alana Kennedy has not played since her injury, which was suffered in Brisbane playing for the Matildas. And then you've got Jada Wyman, Larissa Crummer and Courtney Vine, all of whom played NPL and that season's been over since September. So why is this national team carrying so many players that just aren't playing at the moment? Well, I think yeah, you've got to go back to the squad um, and the type of play, you know, the, the list of players that we look out for. At the moment, we've got Mackenzie Arnold out with a calf injury. Kai Simons just had an operation. Emily Gilnick's injured. Uh, Tamika Yallop's just had her ankle operated on. Ellie Carpenter's still out with her knee injury. As you said, uh, you've also got Alana Kennedy coming back from injury. Um, the only player that doesn't seem to be injured, and I hope I'm not putting the mockers on her here, is Claire Polkinghorn, who will make cap 150 if she plays, or 151, making her the equal all-time highest number of caps, men or women. So there's the headline I want to concentrate on. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, having a play like, as I said, I, I think it just comes around to, are they playing now? No. Teo, are now these games important? Yes. But do we need them to peak now? We need them to peak to play well from the beginning of the year right through until June, July and be at their absolute best when we hit the ground running for the World Cup. That's what's important here. So, you know, that they're, they're not playing right now. I'd love to see all those players overseas. Um, I'd love to see Courtney Vine overseas and, you know, having a crack in one of those leagues. But it is what it is at the moment. We need that depth, as we said. We need some of those younger players to come in. But are you going to take a younger player over a player like KK, who's 100-plus caps, um, she's a lefty. She plays defense. So, you know, we, we talked last pod about Steph Catley playing centrally. Maybe this offers us another left back um, op- opportunity moving forward. I think it's just about getting the right mix. Bridgie, in this, this situation, I mean, we talked about it with the Socceroos last week. How many walking wounded can you afford to have in a squad? I mean, how would you feel if, if you were, you know, Emma Checker, Jenna McCormick, Polly Doran, you're playing in Europe. You've kind of followed the edict that was uh, issued at some point about getting minutes, but you're seeing perhaps players with bigger resumes uh, who are going to travel and be with the squad even if they're injured and even if the plan is they don't actually take the field. I would be absolutely filthy. Um, I'd be so upset and I'd be so hurt and I'd feel so dejected considering you followed the protocols, you've gone to do the best to, if if they've been given that advice to go and play and get games under and then you're kind of... um, bypassed I'd be asking questions and I'd be straight on I'd be on the phone and, and trying to get a good reasoning and a good answer um in a in a manner where you can say well what what more can I potentially do how can I better myself to get the opportunity um and yeah I, I, I find that that's a hard pill to swallow to be fair and I'd be absolutely devastated if I was if I was them girls and I'd actually lose a lot of faith in the in the the setup of what's happening in them camps and going forward so you've kind of you've lost the girls for future um future matches as well Tommy, you would have experienced this dynamic with so many of your contemporaries, though, because the great Danish players, they play 80, 100, more caps. They, they have such long tenure. How difficult is it for forced generational change when a player who has a fantastic resume is also nearing the end? Oh, it can become uh, pretty awkward, um, you know, at times, uh, because, uh, you know, and that's where you need strong management, because, you know, you've got players that everyone respects, uh, you know, and they all got, 
you know, a lot to say. Um, you know, they know the routines, but everyone sort of behind the scenes are aware that they're probably not quite good enough anymore. You know, we had it uh, when I started out. Uh, you know, Peter Smichael was coming to the end of his career. Um, and after Euros uh, at 2000 in Holland, Belgium, I think everyone was sort of, you know, he was a massive persona on the pitch and off the pitch. And, and he took up so much space for a lot of the young players that were starting to come through. So everyone sort of, I think, <laughs> probably wanted him to sort of finish his career with the national team. But he, he, he ended up playing on for another six months. And, uh, and, but, but the manager just didn't want to be the guy that kicked him out of the door. Uh, so, so, th so that was pretty awkward. So it, it can become a distraction. But I still think with this run into the World Cup, I agree with Amy, that there's a bigger picture. And yeah, Emma Cheka, she was in the squad last time. Uh, she's not in the squad this time. And, and other players are being looked at. I don't think you should be too re rejected. I think there'll be, the, it's the games leading into the World Cup coming March, uh, you know, from March on, that, that's when you want to know if you're in the reckoning or not. not, not now. Let's talk about some of the WSL stories of the week. Uh, before we get to the Aussies, we have a big ticket item here, and that is Manchester United, who are still yet to concede a goal after five games. They've won all five of them. Amy, where did this come from? Uh, is Manchester United now having been promoted to the top tier? Are they changing the game? And what does it say about the power shift in women's football? Yes, they are changing the game. And what I love about this is it's making it more competitive in that top echelon of this league. And I think this is awesome. Um as you said, they haven't conceded. They're among the title contenders now. I walked in the other day and, and I said, is that the ladder? Is Manchester United really still, like, is, are they still on top? Are they on top? And I, it surprised me. But then, you know, I, I watched them play and then I looked at the players in that team and I thought, ah, that's why. So have a look at this. You've got Alessia Russo, Ella Toon, Katie Zellum, Nikita Paris, Mary Earps in goal, who's been absolutely outstanding. They all played, um, of course, for the England team at the Euros. you got the Canadian um, Andriana Leon, who Australia should know pretty well because she put a couple of goals away against us. You've got English international junior level Leah Galton. You've got Spain's Lucia Garcia, who's the creator on the side. It's a decent team. And what I love about this is that they're young and they are playing with that freedom that we talked about earlier, where they've got a coach at the moment who, you know, has had experience in the US and has come in, um, had some experience. I think it was with, I think he was with Birmingham, if I'm if I'm not wrong, but had had some um, experience in the lower tiers of. Uh, English football and he's just letting this team play and some of these young players are just going after it and it's awesome to see I can't wait like I want to see him take on Chelsea Arsenal Manchester City because it's creating excitement and even better I've now got a women's team in my own club to support at the top level <laughs> I think it's absolutely fantastic because you say going from the second tier now competing in title contenders Newcastle, the investment that Newcastle United are going to put into their to their girls um, and women's teams is going to be absolutely incredible. See them come on the rise. But the next couple of weeks, you've just said it there, Amy, there is three teams all on maximum points in the WSL. We've got Manchester, Manchester United, we've got Arsenal and we've got Chelsea. And next matches, who plays each other? Manchester United-Chelsea and Manchester United-Arsenal. So there is going to be... In the next few weeks, there is going to be, you know, the 100% the records are going to be going out the window and we're going to see what's going on. These are going to be exciting matches. I cannot wait. All we need now is a big Aussie name to sign for Manchester United, OK? Yes. Is it the only <laughs> club that doesn't have? Uh, it's the only title contender that doesn't have one. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Tommy, you know, what do you make of... Uh, we've seen it happen bit by bit. You know, Arsenal were there from day one, then Chelsea took it seriously, then Barcelona, then Real Madrid, then Juventus, now Manchester United. And it seems as though all the superpowers are starting to tick off... Well, all the superpowers of traditional men's football are starting to tick off... Hang on, we, we need to take women's football with the seriousness it deserves. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's great for the sport, uh, great for women's football... As Amy said, it's all about competitiveness. That, that's what you want to see. Um, you know, you don't want to see Chelsea or Man City winning the title every year. You know, you, you want to see that now we've at least got four teams at the top there that's going to fight it out to the end. Uh, you've got young players coming through. I think, 
you know, Maya Letizia, who's who's come in for them. They've they signed from, I think it was Brighton. Uh, you know, she's now just been called up to the England squad for the first time. So so you, you can start to see that just an abundance of young talent coming through and they're feeding into to all these teams. Um, and it, it's an exciting future for the women's game. And, um, you know, hopefully and, and thankfully all the big clubs are waking up to it, um, you know, and, and brings us to the excitement of the World Cup next year that's on up to sport, you know, the Women's World Cup here in Australia. You know, we, 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 we got a chance to see it firsthand, all these players. That's going to be so exciting. It all comes down to budgets as well, Teo, as well. Um, because if you think about the, you know, the WSL, the Super League, yeah, Manchester United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Manchester City, it's all the big Premier League teams that have got the budgets. So your your likes of your your Reading um, and your lesser teams financially, they're they're going to struggle over the next few few years. You'll probably see them go out the divisions and then sitting behind you've got Crystal Palace team that are coming on the up and it, it, it's all about the budgets and that's why Durham Durham women's team almost got promoted instead of Liverpool last year now Durham haven't even got a, a men's full-time team it's it's amateur level the women's team uh, you know where they were where, how well they did the they would have fight, they would have struggled massively going into this WSL season. So I think that's the the gains that these massive clubs have. They have the budgets to be able to spend, um, and obviously in, in good and every right that they should do. And that that's why it's getting really competitive, and and really really gone of them times when you're getting a nine or ten niller in the in the WSL nowadays. And Bridgie, you actually said on last week's game pod that you thought an English team would win the Champions League this year. And on that yeah. very question, Amy. I do. I'm not going to throw to the audio like I did a couple of weeks ago, but I do believe I said. That's okay. Long, I know what I said. How long until <laughs> Sam Kerr scores three or four in a game? Well, it turns out we only had to wait two days because she scored four in a game against Vlasnia of Albania, and then she scored against Aston Villa in the WSL as well. So, um, well, you were right, Amy. You said you know Sammy's saving those goals up, and then just brrr, there they came in a big spurt. And the first player to score four in the Champions League, another record, by the way. All those people that are voting on the Ballon d'Or, what? is wrong with you um she's still breaking records and you know i think i said last week i wasn't worried about her and um that's why she's come out in a couple of days and bagged five so she's back baby let's just hope she puts them away against sweden for us in a couple of weeks well the wsl does have some cracking matches this weekend including chelsea's trip away to manchester united so amy you're a Manchester United fan, but you're also a massive supporter of the Australians and Sam Kerr in particular. So how big is the tug of war for this one? Do you want Man U to win or do you want Sam Kerr to win? Teal, what a question. Oh, yes. God, no. no. Legions um, to club a country. Legions <laughs> to club a country. Come on. I want Sam it. Kerr to score goals. <laughs> oh. I want Sam Kerr to score goals. But? Um, but? but I'd kind of like to see someone beat Chelsea. <laughs> is that bad? They're oh, so no. good. But no, just, no. just someone or, or is it United? No. Well, my, yeah, United. <laughs> should be a politician. Like you yeah, well. answered that perfectly. I'd like him to do well. Hey, can we just also uh, throw a shout out to, to Hayley Rasso because she scored this week, um, the little menace. She's so quick. She's tenacious. Um and I love seeing her get a name on the score sheet. And Steph Catley, we won't talk about the first goal. No, but let's just move on quickly the, from Steph Catley. The delivery, the delivery for the free kick, perfectly placed. And um, the Gunners <laughs> have got their 13th consecutive win too, which is a new WSL record. So records falling everywhere. And if I can just throw out the two records falling in the case for World Cup tickets because they have flown off the shelf. It's unprecedented demand. And even FIFA is sitting back going, wow, wow, wow. So it's awesome. So as we wrap the pod, I have one uh, goodbye question to each of you. It is the same question. So just round the panel, Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time, Kevin Muskets, Yokohama F. Marinos are two points ahead of Kawasaki Frontale in the J-League. You can watch it live and exclusive on Optus Sport. If they get a draw against Vissel Kobe, Kawasaki would have to win by 12 against FC Tokyo. So a draw does it. A win, of course, makes it totally uh, irrelevant what goes on in the other game. So around the panel, does Kevin Musket close out the J-League this weekend? Amy Duggan? Absolutely. I've got his back the whole way. I backed him last week. Um, I'm backing him again this week. I, I just love seeing Aussies do well on the international stage, whether it be on the pitch or standing beside the pitch and, and commanding the way it goes. So fingers are crossed. Go get him, Kevy. Michael Bridges. 
Musky, this is for all the two-footed tackles you put down the back of my calves and Achilles, mate. No, you won't do it. They will lose and they won't win the title. I'm only kidding. Of course ah. I'm going to go for Musky. I want oh him to win. Oh, my goodness. Wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you had me going. I had you all going there. No, go for it, Musky. He's, he's, got, he's got to get it. He's got to get it. And Thomas Sorensen. Yeah. Hey, he's just been playing us these four last four or five weeks, you know, just letting that big lead dwindle to this last game, and of course he's going to make it. We we have to we have to get an Aussie on top there, and and he's going to do it. Yes, yeah, so a big thanks to Amy Duggan, Thomas Sorensen, and Michael Bridges, and that final round of the J League takes place at four p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday. Yokohama F Marinos ahead by two points. They play Vissel Kobe, while the only team that can catch them, Kawasaki from play FC Tokyo. The Premier League continues with Goal Rush from 2am Australian Eastern Daylight Time Sunday, including Manchester City's match against Fulham. Then get set for a special Sunday night with Chelsea hosting Arsenal from 11pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time into another Goal Rush from 1am Monday featuring Manchester United's visit to Aston Villa. Then from 3.30am Monday, it's the huge clash between Tottenham and Liverpool. La Liga Saturday morning action continues at 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time with Girona hosting Atletico Madrid. Then you can see Barcelona's match against Almeria from 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday. El Gran Derby between Real Betis and Sevilla from 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday. And then there's more because City rivals Rio Vallecano and Real Madrid battle at 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Tuesday. And the WSL is all on Monday morning Australian Eastern Daylight Time with four games starting at 1am, including Arsenal's trip to Leicester City. And then the match of the round sees Sam Kerr's Chelsea away to Manchester United at 5.45am. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us five stars while you're there. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Thank you for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegenpod. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.